So I've discovered that it, when it says starting recording, it's already recording. So uh-huh. Uh-huh. We're good. We're good to go. Mm-hmm. So Stan Cox, we are back. We have two essays. We're doubling up again. Um, and I think uh, we should go with, we should start with you and Preeti. Um, Preeti is your, uh, I would say, your household uh, India expert. <laughs> Would you agree? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was trying to yeah. convince Preeti to come on. I guess she's busy or something right now. Yeah. Yeah. Cam- camera camera shy. Podcast shy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So first we have Preeti and Stan's uh, Between a Yoga Mat and a Hard Place, The Violent Urge for Supremacy in the World's Two Largest Democracies. And I'm glad you guys wrote this because I've also been having a really hard time trying to sort out what is happening in India. And um, ultimately, I agree with you about it. So why don't you... I mean, it's a kind of a depressing piece, as (laughs) is much of your writing. (laughs) Good to know that. Good to know that Preeti and you are on the same page there. But you're just yeah. kind of going through some of the things that they're doing. Um, I, I mean, I, I think for environmental purposes, we might be interested in talking about the the beef issue. So right. the Hindu um, nationalist movement is has discovered the importance of preventing Muslims from. Uh, slaughtering cows because they value life and cows' lives are important. So they kill Muslims when they uh, are involved in the beef trade, which is an interesting way of honoring uh, life or whatever. But, you know, consistency isn't always the point when it comes to this type of movement. So, yeah, you guys had a had a section called Cows and Bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you want to talk about that a little bit? Um, yeah, you can think of this um, as the um, Indian equivalent of the the use of uh, abortion in, in the U.S. as a political weapon. That, <clears throat> that these, um, you know, the, the uh, white Christian nationalists in the U.S. don't, really um, have any attachment to small uh, zygotes or small bundles of uh, yeah. cells and you know, fertilized eggs. But um, or like uh, babies and, or children or helping yeah. mothers raise their children <laughs> or helping single mothers who have children right. or anything, yeah. anything to do with any of that. They yeah, hate all thing. of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, life uh, life begins at conception and ends at birth. Is, yeah, uh, yeah, is yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, and this was um, not an issue. It was invented as a political issue in the early 1980s by uh, this activist named Paul Weirich, who also d- didn't care about abortion at all, but um, – he convinced the Republicans that it could win elections for them. Um, similarly, um, you know, there's always been the um, reverence for uh, cattle in the uh, uh, Hindu 
um, yeah. universe, but right. it's um, it's only since the um, uh, election of uh, Narendra Modi and the BJP to national power in 2014 that this uh, frenzy of uh, attacking uh, anyone who yeah, people who are just hauling cattle down the road they're assumed to be taking them to a slaughterhouse and and they uh, organize a mob over whatsapp and they kind of like organize these things over whatsapp groups and then they'll be able to get a bunch of people together to do these things with of course police collusion usually right yeah yeah they um you know the police are often they um they because you know there there are these laws against cow slaughter, but these uh, it's not that the police are going out and arresting people and uh, hauling them to jail. They um, are uh, they kind of stand by and let these uh, gal rakshaks, as they're called, cow protectors, go out and um, and and they're not they you know they're not uh, you know they. There aren't a lot of guns in India, and they're not just going out and shooting people. But you know, it's horrible stuff. You know, dismembering people, but putting yeah. their putting them into uh, vehicles and setting them on fire, yeah. uh, that kind of thing. Which is a type of vehicular homicide that we haven't even covered on this. Oh, uh, yeah, there we yet. go. Yeah, it yeah. always comes back. Whole to, new type of vehicle. So uh, the other thing is like the complete, outright fabricated. Um, conspiracies like the so-called love jihad. So do you want yeah. to talk about the love jihad, the Kerala story? <laughs> I'm from Kerala, by the way. So the Kerala story has been a yeah. story that I've been fascinated by. <laughs> has very little to do with Kerala. Nobody in <laughs> Kerala is interested in this story. And nobody from Kerala even knows the story. But um, it's, it's some kind of Kerala story. <laughs> yeah, I I have not seen the the documentary or whatever it is. So uh, you, you may have to explain, except uh, that it's about, um, as, as I understand, uh, this great, uh, the, the naming of these things is too much. This love jihad, which <laughs> is uh, supposedly uh, Muslim men um, sort of in, in some way entrapping uh, yeah. Hindu women into marrying them uh, yeah. in order to uh, re- reduce the ranks of uh, Hindus and produce Muslim children, um, and it's you know it's a totally uh, made up thing. But uh, these you know, the uh, Muslim men un- unlucky enough to have uh, married a woman they uh, doubtless loved. Uh, but then to be targeted um, by the um, Hindu fanatics, um, they, they suffer uh, often similar fate to what the um, uh, the uh, cow protect or, or the people hauling cows do. But often it's uh, of course the the woman who um, suffers, and they're you know, forcibly. Um, forced out of their uh, marriage uh, they one woman tells the story about being held basically as a prisoner in a 
a big yoga center where she was basically slave labor cooking for the place without pay and you know sweeping and, and so forth um, until she agreed to uh, convert back to uh, uh, Hinduism. Um, but uh, and, and 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 so they have love jihad, but there's also what is it job jihad where you know Muslims are taking away jobs from <laughs> Hindus right. and various uh, other um, jihads. Uh, very fake jihads. <laughs> jihads are everywhere. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's also some some stuff you talk about in the article, ca- kind of connecting um, connecting the, I guess the what the movements, the Hindu supremacist and the white supremacist movements yeah. in in the U.S. And I guess Modi's is Modi coming to the U.S. Um, or something? Uh, yeah, that must be happening. Or I haven't seen anything in the news, but I believe it was going to be in June. To yeah. oh, oh, I think it's like June twenty-first because uh, he the first thing he he'll do is celebrate World Yoga Day in in uh, yeah. New York. So he's not here yet. June 23rd, mm-hmm. he will address, is he going to address Congress? No. Uh, no. He's no, going to address the, he's going to address Indian Americans from across the U.S. Yeah. Oh, great. <laughs> um, well, they, but yeah, there are remarkable uh, parallels between white nationalism in this country and Hindu nationalism. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think of them as basically British. <laughs> <you know>? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> British grandchildren. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, oh, the, yeah, the big difference is that the white nationalist violence that we've all become all too accustomed to in in this country, um, except for. Um, January 6th and maybe a couple of other incidents tends to be uh, a lone person with an AR-15 or, you know, or, or at most a small group of people shooting out uh, power transformers or um, that kind of thing. But they're, you know, they're um, mobilized online, but uh, almost at random, the, the people doing mobilizing don't don't really know who it is who's going to carry out the deeds. Whereas a lot of the um, violence in, in India, um, including the um, the uh, beef uh, violent beef related violence and the love jihad stuff and 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 you know lots of other abuses are carried out by it's a Fairly state, yeah, yeah, state project, yeah, yeah. Well, it's well, there's this. Um, you you can. I all I know is the abbreviation RSS, but it's uh, it's um three Hindi words. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Um, but a a huge network um, across the country that is uh, built up. It it really grew and was energized in 2014, but its origins go all the way back to 
the um, interwar period in the 20s by a bunch of guys who were um, uh, captivated by uh, Mussolini's uh, fascist movement and modeled uh, this um, uh, Hindu supremacist movement on that. And they they have a lot of the trappings of uh, fascism and, and so forth, but they... Um, they spawned lots of other <clears throat> movements uh, uh, um, in, in, in you know, activities, movements, uh, including the, the cow protection rackets um, and including the BJP, now the ruling party of um, India. It, it grew out of the RSS movement itself so it's uh, it's it's almost as if it is now the the government that's carrying out these abuses on the ground um there's a there's a guy i follow on twitter maitriya bakal he's in mumbai and he's really funny on twitter he does a lot of satirical tweets and he did this thing where he said in the following thread i will outline all of the contributions made by the RSS to the Indian freedom struggle. <laughs> and then the next tweet is end of thread. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. And, and I think that, I think people know that and they, and their political support is probably pretty nil. The, the kind of branch of RSS called, Shiv Sena, which is the ruling party in uh, in Maharashtra in the city of Mumbai, um, uh, Preeti knows people who um, live in the slums there, and she she was there visiting, and they had to Shiv Sena, um, yeah, the the woman on on her uh, front door um, had you know this. Uh, Shivsena sign or propaganda or announcement of something, and she said, well, "You got what? Well, you got that on there?" And she says, um, "They come and put it on there, and you know you had better not take it off." Or yeah, it's a gangster. You're in kind of a trouble. gangster thing, yeah. Yeah, which is always like part of democracy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Okay, so all right, let's go. Let you also um, took a how many feet? They what do they say in the corporate world? A thirty thousand a view from thirty thousand feet. <laughs> Take that view from thirty thousand yeah. feet in your other essay. The old future is gone, and technology won't bring it back. So this one is interesting because you you kind of recap a lot of what we've been doing here, what you've been doing in your essay series. Uh, including uh, the discussion of batteries and the immense metallic mining footprint, which is way beyond what we have done so far uh, with mining. And mining is very destructive, uh, as it is, and metal mining in particular. Yeah. And... The renewables economy promises to vastly scale that up. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes, this is um, something that the um, 
that uh, journalists and and others finally um, seem to be uh, getting concerned about. And in the um, uh, I think within the climate movement, it, it must be causing a lot of consternation. The, the um, huge quantities of some of these um, uh, metallic elements that are going to be required. Um, a lot of it, but well, a lot of it for the um, the mechanisms in uh, wind turbines, which um, uh, re- require a, I, I I forgot how many tons per. Um, uh, Per turbine, but they're, uh, you know, you you look at them they, they, in the distance, they look you know, slim and elegant, but mm-hmm. um, they're, they're terrible. But the uh, but the even bigger thing is going to be for uh, <clears throat> lithium-ion batteries, mm-hmm. uh, which um, and, and a lot of the concern is uh, because it, you know, if we really are going to replace in the U.S. Uh, 200 million uh, gas and diesel powered vehicles with electric vehicles. The tonnage of lithium ion batteries is going to be astronomical, but it could even be dwarfed um, worldwide by uh, or in the United States by the battery storage that will be needed for um, uh, an electricity sector that's dominated by wind and solar power because mm-hmm. the you know, uh, wind and sunlight are in, only intermittently available and so uh, a lot of energy is going to have to be stored um, at one in one part of the the day or the year to be used um, when when it's neat when it's in that are stored when it's in excess to be used later or, or to be transferred to another place where uh, where the wind isn't blowing um, and uh, those two uh, together um, it's been calculated that if the, if the world go does this and replaces its uh, energy sector with um, renewable energy and goes whole hog for electric vehicles. It will require more, a larger quantity of metals being mined in the next uh, 15 years as have been mined since the Bronze Age, basically throughout all of human history will we'll double the amount of metal mined in human history in the next 15 years and uh, and so what we've seen more of in, in the news uh, lately are, are the impacts of of uh, current mining of cobalt in Congo mm-hmm. um, uh, lithium in, in South America um, and uh, and then a lot of uh, rare earths in in China, um, and then there's also the silicon uh, industry in China that um, they're you know, both ecological and uh, and uh, humanitarian uh, disasters um, in 
in all of those uh, places. And there could be um, more to come um, and, and more um, and a lot of geopolitical potential for uh, for conflict uh, because they're, they're already thinking, OK, maybe we don't we're not going to have enough deposits of these metals um, on on uh, on the lands uh, or on the Earth's terrestrial surfaces. They're looking. <laughs> Gotta go to space. Gotta yeah, go yeah, space. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But before yeah, before they resort to mining asteroids, which is a real thing they're talking about, uh, there is the Pacific deep sea floor where there are these uh, uh, nodules about the size of medium-sized potato, but perfectly spherical, um, that are you know, from, I guess, volcanic origin, but they have been, they're just kind of um, lying there on the surface of the seafloor, ready to be picked, picked up. up. And, yeah, and they're ashamed <laughs> to just let them sit there. Yeah, yeah and loaded with cobalt and nickel and, uh, and lithium and, uh, I think, manganese, the, the the very metals that are needed for um, for uh, the batteries and other stuff, um, and the, um, there the, there's a UN agency that is kind of organizing things and and issuing licenses to different countries for different you know, uh, you know thousands of uh, square mile areas that will be theirs to mine, putting these gigantic um, harvesting um, thing. They look like uh, if you took a, a wheat, wheat or maize combine harvester and blew it up about 10 times as big. And, 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 and they got these uh, rolling claws of some kind that go along the seafloor and, okay. uh, and gather these things. Um, they they aren't doing it yet, but I think this summer, maybe next month, they're going to start um, opening it up and and let them do some experimental harvesting. And of course, this causes it will cause um, huge disruption of the um, of sea life and in these uh, in these deep regions and the the huge clouds that uh, undersea clouds that these are going to stir up. Uh, they, uh, the models say that they'll they can drift thousands of miles and bury sea life uh, far from where they're uh, harvested. Oh, I guess it's sea life's fault for getting in the way of the minerals. <laughs> um, so uh, you mentioned I, I, years ago now, because that's when the book came out. Kim Stanley Robinson's book Ministry yeah. of the Future came out, and I vowed that I would read it, and I never read it yet. And it doesn't <laughs> sound like you have either. <laughs> I've read uh, I've read a good good many pages of it. Um, okay. Uh, so how do they do it? How do they pull it off? Because I guess the the it's a United Nations effort, right? Yeah. And then. <laughs> Yeah, they, um, well, well, their biggest project is, um, they, they, um, I guess the, the Antarctic, um, ice sheets 
they melt from the bottom and mm. so they they you know the water is running out the bottom of them, of them in huge quantities um or in you know down in uh, rivers carved in the ice or whatever and so they figure out a way to um capture the water before it um gets to the sea and and pump it back up to the top of the glacier where, where it, it goes on to the top and re- refreezes nice. <laughs> and so that's how they save the world and then i i think there's you know lots of other um you know, technological um fixes and they convert to renewable energy and so forth they um i haven't read the part where they put a declining cap on fossil fuels and, and rationing. But they do, right? They do have that, don't they? Or they don't? There's no policy. Because he does get into, like, policy and stuff. In uh, I read one of the yeah. Mars books, I think. Mm. started to read one of the Mars books. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. yeah. But you're, well, and then I, you, you, I know you were kidding, but... <laughs> but yeah, because that's what my what in Stan's world, that's what we have to have. But um, Stan, <laughs> Kim Stan Robinson. Kim Stan. <laughs> but uh, but the the um, other the interesting thing or an interesting thing about the book, if you read the first chapter, it's the, it, probably the most gut wrenching thing you'll ever read about. Uh, a heat wave in Uttar Pradesh in India. Oh yeah. And I think it ends up killing 20 million people or something in a, in a few days, but it's the, the description of this one village where or city where um where it's happening is gut-wrenching. And so that's the big um you know everybody is always um talking about, you know, if the you know, if climate change gets bad enough or if there's a big enough disaster, it'll be a wake up call and and everybody will um, finally decide we've got to do something. And and so that in in, um, in a novel that can happen. And so it happens there so far. Of course, it has not uh, happened. And uh, despite all the, the suffering we've seen, it hasn't happened in in real life yet but a disaster that big has not happened either so i guess it's it's always uh, possible but that's in in his novel that's what it took to finally get and, and even then it it took decades for uh for them to turn things around and and that's what i wonder about because i don't think we have decades um mm-hmm. Well, according to IPCC, anyway, we don't. Yeah. So then, you you finish with a discussion of uh, our friends, our mutual friends, Wes Jackson and Robert Jensen. They have a book, co-authored book, one of several, right? Or they call it an well, inconvenient apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. Clever. Yeah. Clever. That's. <laughs> um, uh, so, what was it about that that you um, that got? You know, that piqued your interest. <clears throat> well, um, the, these guys are um, close colleagues of mine. I'm uh, I'm sitting 
right above uh, Wes's head. He, he's, <laughs> he, he's in the basement and then on ground floor here. Um, and and I had wanted for uh, for a while to um, cite uh, cite them. They are um, they and I have kind of a good cop bad cop uh, function. Um, they uh, if I'm I'm saying this is what we have to do. We're probably not going to do it, but it is possible to get uh, get through this the, the same way you know Kim Stanley Robinson envisions it happening, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and so yeah, don't believe people who say it's going to be easy and just a matter of new technology and so forth. It's got to be it, it could be pretty wrenching, but yeah, you know, we can get through it, and and there. Uh, they're going farther and saying uh, clearly none none of that is going to happen. That you know, humans are going to continue pursuing um, as much concentrated energy as they can, and uh, uh, we're and it's going to hit a, a peak here very soon, and then we'll. Uh, Probably uh, after the, um, the either the downpowering can be well organized and and uh, and humane and so forth, and which I you know, I'm also advocating for. But they uh, they say it's still going to be um, uh, horrendous, and there'll probably be uh, a population maybe of. Uh, one or two billion uh, people on Earth when, uh, and, and when it, when the when we finally hit the level where we're basically at, at that point will be you know, pre-industrial revolution. Yeah, um, I just and, think of that as really like, yeah, that, that's it's been a long time since that kind of stuff has done anything for me. I, I'll just <laughs> I'd say because for me it's like these are all just guesses, right? And and if you're gonna make stuff up, I don't know why you make stuff up that's you know so <laughs> so biblical and I don't know. <laughs> well, but well, it depends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but. I, I see no no sign that um, that anything coming out of COP twenty six seven any anything oh, yeah, I IPCC and and that anything is um, doing anything uh, to stop this and uh, and so you know this very recent study um, uh, concluded their their models showed that in uh if we go to as is predicted for business as usual i guess to 2.7 degrees celsius of warming that um the um areas of the the globe that are um uh, hostile to human habitation that people basically you just you can't uh, live there anymore, uh, which includes pretty much all of 
the um, uh, South Asian subcontinent um, will become uninhabitable. That uh, that's uh, it'll be three to six billion people who will be needing to uh, go somewhere else, and, and, and you know yeah. that, that's not going to be. Possible. No, I mean, but when you do any pre- business as usual projection into the future, it's impossible. Like, I, 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 <laughs> shall I give you a little briefing on forest fires? Because uh, this was this is in yeah. the news, right? It's funny because it's like I wrote a I, when I used to be a fire scientist. That used to be my thing. Yeah. And it's like there's suddenly like all this interest in this thing that I used to do like 15 years ago, and I wrote a I published a paper called will forest will climate change overwhelm forest fire management capacity and that was a paper i published in 2010 um and i followed that up with a presentation that i never wrote up where i basically said okay look because because the whole the whole concept of my paper was a, a whole bunch of things that we know pretty well which is like there are there are Fires that take place that are take place in weather conditions where they grow slowly enough that you can put them out. Mm-hmm. Then there are fires that are take place that are in weather conditions where they're roaring so fast that all you can do is get out of the way and hope for better weather. Yeah. But there's like certain fires where if you get there just right at the right time, you might be able to catch them. And it's kind of like, what is that window? So like, that's the window that we're really interested in modeling. Yeah. And so when you have climate change, we, you know, we kind of say that the number of those fires that you could catch goes up, but so does the number of the fires that you can't catch. So yeah. <laughs> ultimately, there's going to be so many more fires that you can't do anything about that, you know, if you project that into the future, you're going to burn the entire forest multiple times <laughs> each season. So obviously we're talking about something that's going to qualitatively change because if it's yeah. if there's that much more fire, the whole ecosystem is going to change and probably it'll be a grassland or you know a different type of forest, right? Yeah. So yeah, I think we will see I, I'm not disputing that we will I'm not disputing Jensen and and Jackson's view that things are going to be completely different than they are now. Yeah. I'm just I'm just saying that they're not going to be what they say and they're not going <laughs> to be what we say, you know, like it's a it's yeah. a real it's a real uncertainty. It's going to be yeah. something that none of us are talking about or that somebody just completely randomly said and then they're going to be yeah. like, "Oh my god, this guy predicted this." <laughs> but he, you know, yeah. everybody was predicting something. So uh, yeah, and, and I mean, and they don't uh, they don't try to predict a lot of specifics about you know, how it's going to happen. Or, um, yeah. If I, there there is that uh, one to two billion that uh, is kind of uh, as Bob says, you know, you just kind of put uh, pull that out of a, a yeah. hat. It'll be a lot fewer people than than are now. Is it? it what it's meant to uh, represent. But then it'll, then that'll grow or maybe it'll, you know, (laughs) and before that it'll be higher. I don't know. I mean, it just, I, it's a scary thing to say, but I just don't know, you know, I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) There's always some rhetorical point to doing that. I'm not sure what that is in this case. 
So that's my critique of that. Um, where else are we going? What do you, where are we going next? Um, the next one is already in in the can. We're kind oh. of this one kind of came out late in the month. Uh, the oh, next right, one right. should should come out um, early. Um, it's uh, it's about these um, rogue state governments in in the U.S. Oh. So it's get, getting back to tin uh, pot legislators. Pot, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I like that. Yep. You know, I I don't know if we talked about that last time, but like, you know, the U.S. it's it's got so much abundance that it wouldn't you can't just settle for having one fascism. You have to have lots of fascisms, <laughs> yeah, up to fifty different fascisms in each state. Um, yeah, yeah, and it's pretty wild. And so, yeah, that ten pot legislators that we talked about a while back, which was not actually part of in real time now this is an in real time piece but it it's broader uh, than uh yeah because so, so much more uh has happened in these state governments uh, florida and texas get all the um the press about a lot a lot of these yeah. um uh outrages um but there there are a lot more uh things um now that they're doing uh, related to fossil fuels and and climate, because yeah. they're uh, they happen to be the ones who are passing these laws. Of the 19 states that have the highest uh, per capita CO2 emissions, 15 of those 19 have the legislature under complete. Uh, both chambers of the legislature and the governor's mansion all under uh, MAGA control. And so that's where my, most of this is happening. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, I just read Christian Parenti's book about Alexander Hamilton. And uh, Hamilton wanted to abolish the states. Did you know that? He thought. No, that, I didn't. Yeah. He thought that if you had states, you would create these petty interests for these petty people who would inevitably start fighting yeah. with each other and they would you would yeah. never be able to get it together have a yeah. you know to do anything important so. <laughs> 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 yeah he, he, he probably didn't envision 330 million people all in <laughs> no no well he would he did he thought america was gonna be a big um prosperous mm -hmm. manufacturing power right and he wanted to mm -hmm do the policies that would get do that it was jefferson who wanted it to be a small agrarian yeah. you know community one big plantation you know happy yeah, men yeah, and, and their slaves yeah. right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> just everybody living peacefully with their slaves <laughs> all right okay looking forward to that <laughs> to that uh, another that new injection of optimism maybe i'll try to read uh, ministry of the future and i'll do a more yeah. in-depth review by then so yeah you yeah. know we'll, we'll have some kind of we'll do a little book of what book club <laughs> yeah okay <laughs>